This meeting is being recorded. Good morning, everybody. It is a bright and early Saturday morning edition of Forward Maryland. So bright and early, I haven't even had time to promote it yet. My name is Bill Woodcock. And I'm Steve Hunt. We'll just have to do the promotion on the backside of it. <laughs> well, yeah, as, as sometimes happens. So um, today is Saturday, June 25th, 2022. And as threatened in our last podcast, which no doubt you all watched or listened to out there, uh, we are presenting our last uh, gubernatorial top 10. Uh, actually, it's going to be a top five or maybe a top five plus one who deserves an extra mention. We'll see. But Steve, the first thing I want to talk about is yesterday's Supreme Court decision. Not unexpected at all, given the leak that came out a month or so ago uh, and the overturn of the Roe versus Wade decision. The first time in Supreme Court in American history that a, uh, a decision that has expanded uh, individual rights on the federal level been overturned. What are your first thoughts on this on this uh, landmark decision by the U.S. Supreme Court? Well, uh, you know, it's obvious that this was coming. Like you said, the leak was out there. If you follow follow the court, you you got you know kind of a readout of the oral arguments in the Dobbs case, which is the Mississippi case that that really was the catalyst for this. Uh, you knew this was coming. It's still a bit of a shock to think that that a right has been taken away. That that is unprecedented in our our history. Um, my, my first thought was that you know courts are typically named after the chief justice, you know the Warren Court and so on, and this is supposed to be the Roberts Court. It is not. Um, John Roberts has lost control of the court. Um, he started losing it when Anthony Kennedy, for whatever reason, there's still a lot of stories there, uh, resigned, replaced by Brett Kavanaugh. But it, the Roberts Court died with Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the replacement with Amy Coney Barrett because the inmates are truly running the asylum. And, you know, when you have somebody like Clarence Thomas not only saying Rose done, but here's my hit list. <laughs> and, and, and he put out his list. And that is also unprecedented in the court. Usually they stick to the matter at hand, but but he was like, you know what? I'm just going to tell y'all what's coming. And dear far right, start bringing those lawsuits because if they come to us, we're going to knock them down for you. So it's it, it's frightening in terms of what happened with Roe and the effect on, quite frankly, half of the country's population. Um, certainly that population, half of the country's states. Uh, but, you know, what's next? And, and we're in a great and terrifying unknown in terms of the rights of citizens. And, you know, uh, there were a lot of uh, tweets out there that I, I, that struck me, but one of them was, you know, you know, where a assault weapon has more rights than a woman. Um, and if you looked at what they did in 24 hours with the New York case, which basically told, you know, the Heller decision, oh wait, written by Antonin Scalia to go to hell. And then what they did with the Dobbs case at Roe and Casey, um, I don't know. Bill, what do you got? I feel, I felt yesterday, um, like you, not surprised, but also a lot like how I felt on November 9th, 2016. Hmm. And yeah. for people who want to know out there in viewer and listener land, how come Bill Woodcock doesn't 
doesn't lick as many envelopes, make as more phone, many phone calls, knock on as many doors as he used to. Not that I don't anymore, but not as much as I used to by any means. Um, it's because we told you this would happen. And for many, many years, you didn't listen. And so elections have consequences. Um, the person won who got to a point those three justices, yep. imagine if on the other side of the coin, President Clinton would have gotten to appoint those three justices, what, how might we be different? And, yep. um, and I think you can see that, um, you know, this was what we were trying to tell you. Yep. And then you voting public you know, I'm also looking at the polling ahead of the midterms. And, uh, you know, Steve, I, I will admit, you know, I give Joe Biden a solid, you know, A minus as president. I think he's accomplished a lot. But do I think he should run again? Uh, I'm not too sure about that. If for no other reason, the man is going to be 80 years old in November. And mm -hmm. that has to be a concern. Yeah. Um, but however, when you look out there and you see what the other side brings to the table and you see what the other side means, I mean, this is not the just, you know, the Republican Party of lower taxes and smaller government. This is the Republican Party of we are going to turn America back at least 50 years and we're fixing to do more. And yeah. so how you look at all of these national polls, congressional support, uh, mm -hmm. you know, voter enthusiasm, and you see uh, conservatives much more enthusiastic, Republicans yeah. much more enthusiastic, you know, Democrats hold a lead in the national congressional ballot, but it's by a smaller margin and there always is a delta between you know, the actual vote count turns out being more favoring Republicans and beneficial to Republicans in terms of gaining seats, even though yep. the, the Democrats may even ultimately win the national congressional ballot. Right. How this could happen, how, I mean, how this, how this could happen being the Supreme Court decision, the grounds were, the, 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 the seeds were sown when a lot of progressives and a lot of liberals and a lot of left-leaning people thought, oh, the 2016 election is in the bag, or nope. I just don't like Hillary that much, or, oh, there's no way Trump's going to win. Yep. So take that and now look at 2022 and yep. look at what's going to happen. You know, you have a 50-50 Senate. You have a 50-50, uh, almost 50-50 House. House is much more likely to go Republican than the Senate. Yep. But if either, or my God, if both fall to, to the Republicans, now we get the return of the king in 2024. Yep. And if you didn't think, if you thought Trump 1.0 was a problem, you ain't going to want to be around for 2.0. So there's a way to do this. The way to do this is get your butts out on the streets, stop complaining. 
You can protest if you want. Be angry and be pissed off if you have to. You should be. People should be. This is a horrific decision. This is wrong with what we've done to American women. And go out and fight. Go out and fight. Go out and vote. Go do everything like your way of life depends on it because it does. And in terms of the legality, I, I saw some set of flopping gums who claimed to be, I guess, a clerk, uh, in the, I guess, for uh, Thomas and, and, and Kavanaugh, who was talking about, oh, well, this decision will make the court less political. Horse hockey. Yeah. This, this decision made the court super political. Uh, the legal basis, you know, is ridiculous. And I'm not even an attorney. And to your point, Steve, what are they going after now? Thomas already said, you know, like you said, yeah, here's our list. Of course, he yeah. didn't put Loving versus State of Virginia on that list. I yeah. Why not? <laughs> yeah. I because of that. his own seditionist wife. Right. So, so, you know, it's a horrific decision. It's a sad day. I was saying to somebody, in fact, earlier today, the only way that this swings back now is if, you know, because a legal, you know, a, a, a piece of legislation could get struck down by the court as unconstitutional. Yeah. But the way that this swings back is now that I, I believe that you would have to prove that the economic and social hardships made by women by carrying pregnancies to term would create a form of indentured servitude. And by constitutional rights under the 13th, 14th, and 15th amendments, mm-hmm. then you can't have that. And, and so I said that, but I mean, also, how dark is that? that? That now, like, the way to overturn this and get this back right again is to essentially say forcing women to carry pregnancies to term is akin to slavery. However, yeah. isn't that what we just decided yesterday, that that's an okay thing to do? Yeah, and, and the other thing I would say, Bill, is for, and, and you're right, I, I heard some gum flappers as well out there, and I love the ones that say, well, all we're doing is we're returning to the state. State rights, people, y'all weren't saying that 24 hours earlier when you said New York could not, you know, put restrictions on concealed carry. So even even that is BS. So this this is... For all the conservative hand-wringing and pearl-clutching about activist courts, this may well be the most activist court in American history if they pull off what Clarence Thomas wants to pull off. So don't even don't give me the states' rights nonsense. Don't give me the activist you know, nonsense. Uh, this is an activist, political, ideological group of five, and the, the, the man at the gate keeping the hordes out John Roberts is no longer able to do that. And you're right about 2016. I won't talk about that from my perspective. You, you laid that out very well. But it is striking to me that the loudest voices I'm hearing this week between this, these two Supreme Court decisions, plus if anybody watched the January 6 hearings, it, it is no longer about what was tried in 2020. It's what's being quietly tried in 2022. And your Trump 2.0... Um, 
That Trump 2.0 could be Donald Trump or it could be Ron DeSantis. They're one and the same. You know, they just have different color hair. Uh, maybe they go to a different salon and get different dyes. I don't know. But it, 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 that's where we're looking. If you This week was a frightening week. If you look at the Jan 6 hearings, the New York decision, and the striking down of Roe. And the loudest voices I'm hearing, ironically, are people who have been lifelong conservatives who don't recognize their party anymore who have left. People like Joe Scarborough, Nicole Wallace, um, Charlie Sykes, uh, Bill Kristol. Uh, you know, you see these folks on Twitter, uh, Jennifer Rubin of the Washington Post, they're letting it fly. Meanwhile, you have our quote unquote progressives basically saying Biden's not doing anything and, and, and you know, torching their own. So, you know, come on, people. Th this is, you're right, Bill, our lives do depend on it. Our futures depend on it. Our kids' futures darn sure depend on it because, you know, you and I might not be around to see some of the worst of what could come down, especially when you look at the ages of these justices. Thomas is the old man at 74, right? Alito, 72. Roberts is 67. The other three are south of 60. <laughs> so, Buckle up, people. This is going to be a bumpy ride unless we do something about it. Uh, Steve, I've, and I, I have to apologize to you and the audience, but at this point, I need to pause the recording. And we will be right back. It will be like time travel for the rest of you. But for the two of us, it will only be a few minutes. This meeting is being recorded. I can't believe we only got to hear that twice. I apologize to the audience. I had an adult child with a knee to come by the house, but mostly thank you to Steve because you were the only one who sacrificed anything in real time. And, no problem, and so the segue of sacrificing well, things in real time. It's actually a good segue, Bill, if I may, because if you notice the commentary from uh, our esteemed Maryland politicos, i.e. those running for governor, because that's why we're here. Um, there was a lot of comments. I, for the life of me, have yet to see anything from our current governor, one Lawrence J. Hogan Jr. Um, nor do I believe I saw anything from Republican candidate of the Hogan camp, uh, Kelly Schultz. Um, there were a lot of other comments, certainly all the Dems that are of note have come out. Um, I believe Dan Cox went Dan Cox. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, but as a segue, it was very noticeable, you know, who was talking and who was basically saying, uh, I'm not saying a word. Um, and that includes our hometown, Howard County, um, where certain people had nothing to say. Well, to, well, I mean, as we move into the, the main event of the of the day, and I do want to spend plenty of time to talk about that. But but to that point, um yeah, I, I think politically, I mean, let's not forget, um, about 70, 80% of the population is pro-choice, mm -hmm. and that includes a large majority of Republican women. So yeah. that also, you know, this also pretends uh, to something that could backfire. I mean, while yes. the Republican Party is going down this ever-reddening process that they're going through and just following lemming-like down Trump lane, um, 
you know, how many of them are willing to give up on that right and how many of them are swayed by the, well, it ought to be a state's rights issue. But right. if you're looking in Maryland um, and looking at Maryland's elections in November, you know, abortion rights just made it to the top of the list, which it shouldn't. But I do believe that whatever Republican nominees uh, path to the governor's mansion, um, you know, whichever one it is, their path just got harder. But let's talk yeah. about those because I know, yes, sir. You know that's what we wanted to spend most of our time on. So for those of you out there in viewer and listener land, you have been amused and maybe even bemused. I doubt you can see mused um, about our top 10 gubernatorial rankings, which have been going on for, gee whiz, Steve, I want to say about a year now, maybe yeah. even since you started doing this. Uh, in fact, I think I started doing that when, when Jason was, was co-hosting. So, so today is our final since election hearing has actually begun. Voting has begun. I filled out my ballot even this morning. And I've got mine, I got mine on my desk. There you go. And, God bless Maryland. And so, you know, we're, we, go, we go now from top 10 to top five. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of interesting candidates, a lot of interesting people. But in our pre-show discussions, Steve and I really realized that there really were about five people total who had a shot at a winning their nomination and then b you know winning the governorship so to that let's go into it uh i want to mention before i go to my number five uh i think we each agree that we would have a a uh, others receiving votes column and uh in the old uh ap football poll tradition and my other receiving votes are doug is doug gansler so patron of this podcast, consumer of this podcast, and guru of the Maryland Politics Facebook group, uh, um, Barry O'Connell, uh, sometimes talks about this podcast's affinity for Doug Gansler, or perhaps my affinity for Doug Gansler, and, and uh, falling under the Svengali-like spell of, of one Glenn Foxwell. Uh, not so fast, my friend. I can come up with my own opinions on Doug Gansler myself. And my time with Doug Gansler started from walking the highways and byways of Northeast Montgomery County when I was about a 31-year-old delegate candidate in 1998. So Doug Gansler is one of the most experienced politicians and public servants in the state of Maryland. He would make a fine governor. I still think so. Still extremely impressed by his interview on our podcast, Steve. But um, for some reason, maybe lack of currency, maybe lack of a natural base, um, he's really been unable to muster the fundraising resources, the ad resources, although he is running a television ad, which is good, to really make him a fully competitive candidate. And... Um, you know, in my different scenarios of where I see the electorate playing out on the Democratic side, at this point, I just don't see a path for him to earn the nomination. So, Steve, my my uh, my other receiving votes is Doug Gansler. Who you got? 
Well, well, speaking of experienced politicians, I, I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't give a shout out to one Rashern Baker, former Prince George's County executive who suspended his campaign. Um, you know, having followed Prince George's County politics most of my life, I can tell you he is fundamentally a good man. And what he pulled off in Prince George's County after the Wayne Curry and Jack Johnson years was nothing short of miraculous. So, you know, best of luck to the former county executive and whatever he does. Um, like a Doug Ganser, for whatever reason, just did not catch on this time around. He was number two in 2018. So quick shout out there. Uh, my number six is actually John King, a uh, former um, education secretary, who, you know, a couple of things about John King. Number one, uh, you know, the recent debate on uh, Maryland Public Television, which was a challenge because it was only an hour. And you had a whole bunch of people out there. But I, the two people who had good nights were, well, of the more notable candidates were uh, John King and Tom Perez. I thought both had had good nights. I thought Perez had a really good night. And I thought John King brings a lot to the table. Um, you know, he's picked up some endorsements recently. I believe NARAL, I believe uh, Sierra Club. I, I probably got those wrong, but um, I, I don't think he's got it to make it all the way back, but he is, he feels like he's making a bit of a charge. Um, so he's my other receiving vote. Uh, certainly not in the top five, but uh, certainly somebody who um, I think his surge might hurt somebody who we will mention in the top five. So I think his last push might knock somebody else out <laughs> or down enough to not let them get all the way. But uh, John King's my number six. So, so you, so uh, you, so you decided to take license and, and have a seven and a six. Well, it was a shout out to Rush Bay. Shout out. We didn't like agree that. on shout outs. We aren't talking about shout outs, sir. Well, we gave one to Lauren Newman when she dropped out effectively. So that I just was weeks to... ago. I know, but I wanted to give him a little love. Next thing you know, you'll be talking about Columbia Council candidates who take dark money and call them good people. Oh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a full diatribe about Harry uh, Slow Growth Dunbar, baby. <laughs> Watch yeah. out for that. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll pause <laughs> this podcast for the day at that point no howard <laughs> county talk in this of course i just started the howard county talk yes, anyway, you did. anyway other anyway yes on baker and king i was impressed with king too and i i didn't watch the mpt debate i did see the debate on channel 11 uh, a couple weeks ago which was also on mpt i'm not sure if it was the same one or if yours was more recent but um, yeah, I think it was the same one. They just showed it on a. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, lots yeah. of lots of great ideas from John King. Uh, lots of yeah. body language with John mm -hmm. King. I noticed very animated. So uh, mm -hmm. anyway, yeah, well, race is well run. Uh, anyway, let's go to our numbers five and then let's go five, five, four, four, three, three. Uh, so let's keep switching. My number five is Westmore. Um, I can see a path for three, so just a preview, I can see a path for three Democrats to win the nomination and two Republicans. Um, I see Wes Moore as maybe the least likely of the three Democrats to, to emerge. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I will say this about Wes Moore, it is most impressive as gun shy and as uh, trepidatious 
as Maryland Democrats might be, to elect a candidate who has never held elective office and is in their first try for elective office um, for the second straight gubernatorial primary, they may be poised to do it. Um, the concern I have about Westmore and any of you Democrats out there who is concerned about the way of the way of politics as usual going on in Annapolis, Westmore is your candidate. Uh, and if you're concerned about, well, actually, if you're concerned about that, Westmore is not your candidate. Uh, if you don't care and you just like the things, the way things are, then go for Westmore. Uh, Westmore has a lot of institutional backing. In normal times, that could be seen as a good thing. Sure, in this case, I think there are there are strengths being shown of other candidates who I will mention, who are coming from outside of the political circles. One with much more federal experience, one with extensive state experience, but not being part of the go along and get along crowd in Annapolis. However, you know, isn't it strange that the go along and get along crowd uh, is all falling behind Wes Moore, who is the most outside of the outsidiest candidates. So these things aren't adding up. They're not jibing. Um, I personally will be hard pressed to vote for Wes Moore in a general election. Um, but I recognize that he has some strength and uh, he could pull this off. Steve, who you got? Um, actually, at number five, I have Tom Perez. And this one was difficult for me for several reasons. And, and I wanted to rank him higher. I really did. Number one, in my mind, Tom Perez won that debate. Um, his whole GSD get stuff done hook, I think, worked. I, I thought that, that that really was an effective kind of self-branding. Um, he's got money. I mean, he's raised... Yeah, I pulled up some of the numbers here. He's raised $4 million for the overall cycle in this last period, January to June, $1.5 million he's raised. He has $1.2 in the bank. Um, so he certainly has the money. He has the endorsements of very passionate uh, Democrats in a low turnout election. Having organized labor waving your signs is a good thing, although who knows what the effect of early voting, mail-in voting will have on that. Um, the, the thing that struck me about the Perez performance at the debate was there was an exchange that it started with Moore going after Francho, but he opened up a door and Perez really got into Westmore. Now, was it, you know, Chris Christie ending Marco Rubio 2016? Not quite, nor was it Elizabeth Warren ending Mike Bloomberg in 2020 in, in Nevada, but it was really good. And it, it did leave some, let's say some bulletin board material that could be used in the fall by the Republicans should Westmore be the nominee. Um, so I like Tom Perez a lot. Um, he, he's one I've got my eye on um, as a possibility, uh, you know, even for my own personal uh, primary vote. I, I've been impressed with the campaign that he's run. I, I just, I, I can't put him any higher because I, I just don't see the energy that I see for some of the other Dems or the institutional advantage uh, that's out there, but um, it would not surprise me at all to see Tom Perez sneak through this thing. 
Like yeah, and I know what you're talking about, about Westmore's ties to being on boards of investment yep. banks and, and other things. So, so yes, well, Perez will, I will be talking about Tom Perez later in my listing, Steve. So yep. at number four, I got Kelly Schultz. Uh, mm -hmm. Kelly Schultz has done everything she can do in this primary campaign to take the conventional Republican lane uh, to the nomination and possibly to the governor's mansion. Um, mm -hmm. We will see if not being more risk-taking would not have served her better. Uh, as has been stated before several times on this podcast, both by ourselves and by guests, this is a Larry Hogan versus Donald Trump primary election in, uh, for the Republican nomination for governor for Maryland. I would not, well, I'm not going to talk about what the other person might do. This is Kelly Schultz's time. Schultz is the Holtz, uh, the Hogan back candidate. Her TV ad, uh, which I've, uh, was one of the first that I've seen with her in the classroom and, you know, uh, sounding very uh, egalitarian and, and, uh, and uh, cognizant of both sides until until the you know until right at the end when she slips in for a sec couple seconds and of course schools must be open and masks must be off um you know um you know there you go um you know i don't know if she's thrown enough red meat out there to the right-leaning electorate um and if the uh the uh, image of Larry Hogan as, as Rhino uh, is out there in the Republican electorate, then, uh, then, 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 uh, then she's in trouble. Um, and not that many Republican stalwarts are, are supporting her. Uh, you know, you mentioned before about Howard County. Uh, there is a, you know, and my God, we said, let's not talk Howard County. <laughs> your earlier point, <laughs> there is a very high-ranking Republican local candidate who once served in the highest executive office in Howard County politics, who you would think would be a Kelly Schultz person, but he has kept his powder totally dry in that primary. Yes, and to me, that's not a vote for Schultz. That's against her. Steve, who you got? Uh, I have the same person, Kelly Schultz at number four. And, and you're right. Has she run a, a maybe not spectacular, but solid campaign? Sure. Um, but the energy is not there. And you mentioned, I mean, uh, this notable local, I mean, they should be at each other's event saying, hey, we're going to be great partners for the county and the state and arm in arm and all of that stuff. And there is none of it. Um and, and the other thing I will tell you is, you know, my, my son had a baseball tournament last weekend. It, it was out in Western Maryland. And Dan Cox signs everywhere. Not a Kelly Schultz sign to be found. Um, and I've seen that, you know, recently I had to take a trip to northern Baltimore up to Aberdeen. Same thing. Cox signs, not Schultz. So you're right. The fact that notable politicians, you know, uh, well, I'll even throw in a Barry Glassman who's running for comptroller, you know, a Baltimore County executive uh, or Hartford County, I believe it is. Uh, Hartford County, that's right. Johnny O's Baltimore. Hartford County executive. Um, I'm not hearing from him. I'm not hearing these testimonials about how great Kelly Schultz is. So 
you know, this is really starting to feel like 2018 where you had, you know, I mentioned Rashard Baker earlier, the, the conventional, you know, traditional probably should win candidate. And there's an insurgent that took him out. Um, this is starting to feel the same way on the Republican side. So, uh, you know, if, if you look at the finances, you know, I, I was looking at the um, recent financial reports. I mean, she's got her primary opponent out gunned like six to one in money. I mean, th there's no reason why we should be where we are. But I will say, especially considering the primary is going to be in the dead of summer, it's going to be low turnout. It's going to be about the base on both sides. And to me, that puts her in trouble. So, so um, that's what I got it for. So let's keep going because I see we have about eight minutes for three, two, one, and get out of town. So I will be fine. let's keep moving. So number three, and we're kind of, I'm putting the Republicans kind of together. Dan Cox, uh, you know, I, so yeah, am I thinking that the Trump wing of the party is going to beat the Hogan wing of the party? Yeah, I kind of am. Uh, you know, the, the Baltimore Sun poll from a few weeks ago only showed about a 6% gap between Schultz and Cox. And Dan Cox has raised like next to nothing. And I mean, you know, uh, if, uh, the, the, if uh, the Sun King in Mar-a-Lago uh, throws out a couple communications to his ilk, however that's done now, parlor or whatever the hell he's doing, and says and says, go support Dan Cox, everybody. You're going to see money flow in like mad, and, and he's going to do what's going to be done to, to get over this election. I think there's a lot of Republican groundswell for him. You know, the, the Trump support is always underrepresented in polls. It's been that way yeah. since 2016. Uh, I say it's probably about a three or four point margin. It's not going to be a, a stomping. But I think Cox is going to win this thing, and God help us all if he does, at least the nomination. That's bad enough. Who you got? Uh, at number three, I have Wes Moore. Um, you know, I got to tell you, um, you're right. For an outsider, he feels awfully inside, including his fundraising. Um, in the January to June period, he raised $2.5 million. For the cycle... He's raised $7.3 million. I mean, you want to talk about a walk and talk in ATM. I mean, Wes, Wes Moore is, in the words of rapper Rakim, paid in full. So, um, the first Rakim effort, reference ever on this podcast or on any Maryland political podcast. <laughs> We're innovators, not imitators. That's right. Greatest of all time, baby. But 7.3 million. My goodness. And, you know, and you want to talk about inside. I mean, when you have Oprah show up on a call, that's pretty inside to me. So he certainly is no insurgent. But um, so he's got the money. He's got signs everywhere because he's got the money. He's he's on TV. He is telling his story. He's getting his narrative out there. He's he's doing all of those things. I just don't know if it'll all work because I, I just don't know if Democrats look at him or enough Democrats look at him and say, yeah, we want this guy carrying the flag into the fall, not knowing what's going to happen on the Republican side. I, I, I just still think there is some, maybe a little, you know, buyer's remorse from 2018 with Ben Jealous. Um, 
the difference here is that Wes Moore does not have the you know far left Bernie Sanders base in his pocket. Uh, he is as inside. I mean, hell, the person we'll probably we'll probably both mention later might be more the outsider than Wes Moore. So um, I have him at three. I'd have him higher with the money and everything else he's got going on. But I think all of those things could be a problem. And again, Tom Perez exposed one of his problems during the debate. So uh, Westmore is my number three. So at number two, I have, uh, and, and wow, I'm pretty sure there is video and audio of me saying this person should even rethink if they should even continue running. <laughs> and I have them now as the person who, if you want somebody from the outside and with a lot of experience and somebody who doesn't seem to carry the baggage of either a Wes Moore or let's just say the name of Peter Franchot, then Tom Perez is your guy. A solid, solid background both in legislative and in executive leadership, in government, in Montgomery County, in the federal government, with the Democratic National Committee, uh, his fundraising machine, unlike a couple of the candidates we mentioned before, has yep. accelerated and accumulated over time. He has a nice campaign commercial out, and mm -hmm. my word, President Obama's uh, quotes and pictures in there, as I said last time, don't hurt. Yeah. So um, if you want an out, you know, if you think maybe that Peter Prancho might be too old or too close to Governor Hogan, and you, you think Wes Moore might be a cool dude, but eh, not exactly so trusting of, an out, of a, someone coming from, you know, who made their money outside of Maryland, Tom Perez is your guy. Solid agenda, solid plan. Um, he's not who I'm voting for in the primary, but I would be proud to vote for him in the general election. Who do you have, Steve? Well, uh, first, let me just say, Bill, uh, don't feel bad about your comments about Tom Perez. If, if we went to the audio, I believe I once said Tom Perez is basically Doug Gansler with money. So... <laughs> I don't think either one of us were kind at the time, but, you know, he has just been that engine, that little engine that keeps going. And here he is. And you're right. He's very much in the mix. Uh, number two, I have uh, one delegate, Dan Cox, um, only because I, I think he is going to win the nomination. Um, I think he loses to, to a Tom Perez in the fall. I think he loses to a Peter Francho in the fall. I'm still not 100% sure about a Westmore, which is why I don't have Westmore uh, rated higher than three, um, at least at this stage. Um, but I certainly give him good odds. Like you said, he's minus six to Kelly Schultz. And just to say this, Kelly Schultz during the last period raised $936,000. Dan Cox raised 170. Kelly Schultz has about 800K in the bank. Dan Cox has two. So it's not six to one, it's four to one, but, but he's got the energy. Um, I don't know if you've seen this. Um, I know several people have talked about it. Ryan Miner, I think Barry O'Connell might've talked about it as well. He's got a big soiree coming up. He's bringing in the equally Trumpy <laughs> candidate for governor in Pennsylvania. Um, I forget the guy's name. Yes. Uh, and, and a, a cast of thousands. We even had a conversation about that, that yes, somehow, we did. Uh, 
they got Alec Keys out of mothballs. <laughs> I mean, uh, I didn't even know that guy was still around. <laughs> but he's got a who's who of batshit crazy showing up. And you know what? They're going to show up. A crowd's going to show up. The red meat's going to be flowing like Oprah gives out cars. And it's going to work. <laughs> so, you know, I would say to Kelly Schultz, all the king's horses and all the king's men, but she ain't got the horses or the men right now because, like, he's, we just talked about how the, the, the establishment ain't even coming out. So I, I got to keep them there. Um, not, not any pleasure in doing that, but it is what it is. So yeah. Dan Cox, number yeah, two. Yeah, expect them to show up and show out. Even Alan Keyes, who was last seen cryogenically preserved next to Ted Williams' head. So <laughs> number one, could he go wire to wire, ladies and gentlemen? I think he might. Controller Peter Franchot. Uh, I was at the no lesser event than the Baltimore Greek Festival a few Sundays ago when, lo and behold, <laughs> Peter Francho and eight tiny reindeer. Well, there were not actually eight tiny reindeer, but there was Peter Francho. So <laughs> it speaks to a thing we've said from the get-go. Uh, he's raised a lot of money. He's been very visible. He has the best name recognition of anybody. Um, you know, his debate performance, probably not the best, but he also didn't do anything to hurt himself. Um, and he works. He's the hardest worker in show business. He gets out and he does retail politics like no, none of these other candidates that I've seen have done. Peter French, like I've said before, I'm going to end with this. Peter Franchot's the man until somebody says he's not. And to my, to, to, to that point, Steve, a lot of people have taken shots during this election season. Nobody's been able to knock him down. When we talked with Monica Biddix last week, I did go and I saw the, the Jill Kamenetz video. Um, I found that video unfortunate. I mean, on the first impression, it does sound like damaging, uh, a little bit damaging, but um, no follow-up, which is maybe the worst thing uh, politically as a hit piece. There's no follow-up to that. Secondly, you were talking about a funeral for a county executive, which her husband was county executive of Baltimore County at the time. And Peter was in, I mean, the, the controller was in the first row because he's a statewide official and because that's a state funeral. And you show respect for the person, regardless of your political differences. So I can understand Jill Kamenetz's point of view. Of course, she loved her husband very much and was very offended by the fighting over uh, air conditioning in schools in Baltimore County. Um, but to me, the video, you know, sounds more like somebody who's taking advantage of someone working through their grief and their anger uh, more so than a legitimate, legitimate uh, political hit piece. Steve, who do you have as number one? Well, I, I also have Peter Francho. And, and, you know, to me, that debate performance, wow, <laughs> the debate performance to me looked like 
an old school boxer back when they had championship fights that went 15 rounds who was told by their corner in round 15, you're ahead on points, just don't get knocked out. And I feel like if nothing else, Comptroller Francho did actually accomplish that. He did accomplish not getting knocked out. It was an uneven performance. I will be generous there um, at best, but you're right. He's still standing. And I think as long as he's still standing, I think he is still the one to beat. And, and I think you bring up an excellent point because, you know, Westmore really, a lot of people consider this a two-person race. I don't write off Tom Perez, but if you look at the contrast of where Westmore shows up and where Peter Francho sh shows up, Westmore showing up amongst people who are going to, you know, show the love, show the money, but is he a person of the people? Is he somebody who is getting out there and talking to folks who are really and truly going to vote? You know, uh, you know, there was a, and, you know, we talked about this a, a while ago with Richard Deshea Elliott, the big event uh, near where I grew up in Fort Washington with, with him and Ms. Uh, Anderson Walker. And it was packed. It was packed full of people in South Prince George's County who vote, you know, this Greek festival, he's shaking hands of people who are going to vote, you know, he, the retail stuff is what's going to get you the dub. I mean, all the air war and all the signs and all that stuff is great to get name wreck. But, you know, wh where are those people? I mean, I had a canvasser for Peter Francho in my neighborhood. Um, Same here. I, the, only, the only other person that's been in my neighborhood is Ashwani Jane. So, you know, we a big pocket of vote rich people here. No, uh, but that just tells you that level of retail politic that I think, again, low turnout election, I think works. So I'm with you yeah. until further notice. We'll see. We'll see in a month. <laughs> and until then, uh, have a great memorial. I mean, memorial, what's wrong with me? July 4th weekend as yep. the, the late spring and summer of American holidays continues. We will not have an episode uh, over the July 4th weekend, unless if something really nutty happens. Uh, so let's hope it doesn't. But I know, Steve, you have to get to the baseball field and I've got to sure. get to my day. So we hope you've enjoyed our, our ultimate top five or six or seven. Uh, for the Maryland gubernatorial primary 2022. It's been a pleasure to bring these all to you. So yep. for Steve Hunt, my name is Bill Woodcock. Please subscribe to the Forward Maryland channel on YouTube. And we hope you have a great day and a great weekend, everybody. Take care.